Grab your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy. I know you're in shock. We're not in 1 Timothy anymore. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are continuing our study through the pastoral epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy. And eventually we're going to get to Titus. Um, That's probably going to be in 2024. So that just sounds weird to say. Um, But uh, that's the way that looks. We're going to kick off this morning the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And and this, in 1 Timothy, Paul was a free man to some degree. He he was not in prison. Um, He wrote uh, 1 Timothy, his first letter, was not in prison. But the second letter, 2 Timothy, he wrote from a dark, damp Roman prison cell. Just before his death in AD 67. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. The culture uh, in Paul's day was hostile towards the preaching and teaching of the Christian gospel. They viewed it as something that was a a cultural conundrum that that just caused issue and upheaval. In fact, in the book of Acts, we saw where the, the government of the day looked at Christians and said, these men are turning the city upside down. And, and so he is writing to Timothy and telling him what he should be doing. In fact, the tone of the letter, 1st and 2nd Timothy, are a letter as if a father writing it to his son. Paul looks at Timothy as his spiritual son. And, and so, uh, in fact, in the text multiple times here, he calls him my son, my spiritual son. And so we we get this glimpse into the text. So we're going to pray and then we're going to dive into verse 1. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word. God, I, I acknowledge here and now that I have no ability in and of myself to be able to express or convey spiritual truth without your Holy Spirit directly intervening. So Father, I ask this morning that you would move me aside and that you would step into place and that you would share what you need to be shared in this moment from this text. God, help us. We need you more than we realize we need you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Because why? If you remember, Christ takes him aside for a couple different couple years and teaches him directly. So Paul is an actual apostle. He's not like the modern day guys who say they're apostles who are not apostles. This is an, a scenario that he is a, a genuine, true apostle. So he starts the letter with the idea of grace be with you. Where great, listen, where grace is present, peace will also be present. Grace will, Where grace is present, peace will follow. So he starts the letter, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. As you remember, at the end of 1 Timothy, he has a tone of urgency in the end of 
the, t- of the letter in 1 Timothy. He has this tone of urgency and a challenge to Timothy to guard the spiritual deposit or the spiritual investment that had been placed in Timothy. And so if you look back at, just flip your Bibles over just a page and look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I know I said we were out of there, but we're going to flip back for just a reference point here. Verse 20 and 21, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Oh, Timothy, guard that that has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely known as knowledge. So he's calling Timothy here to protect spiritual and biblical inerrancy, biblical truth. Don't fall for the trap of false Knowledge. Don't fall for the trap of, of false doctrines and false teachings, but guard, like protect the investment. Guard and protect what has been placed in you. And then we see in verse 3, the first thing in the text here is this, this idea of guarding what's been deposited in him and, or entrusted to him. So verse 3 says this, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. The way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears. I, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. We find out that we've parted and shed several tears over the parting and cannot wait to see one another again. So he unpacks this lineage, he unpacks this, this idea in here, and he unpacks this. A little bit of history of, of their relationship. And he's thankful that for the faithfulness and the teaching of the scriptures. Now that he has become a follower of Christ, he has a clear conscience about this matter. And, and he thinks of Timothy as, as this ministry partner son in, in what he's doing. He, he thinks often of him, reminds him of this, and he's looking back with a clear conscience saying, God, you've done this, you put this deposit in, and and I want to faithfully hand this off to Timothy. I remember my tears, or I remember your tears, and I long to see you. So there was a point in which they had to part ways, and Paul and Timothy, when they left, they shed tears over leaving. And listen, that's sometimes in the in ministry, sometimes in life. Those things happen when we have to part ways. We, we definitely shed tears, but it's not tears of just absolute heartbreak, but rather, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He has this longing to be next to him, be close to him. And we, we find out in verse 4, verse 4 says, We find out that we've parted and shed several tears over this parting and cannot wait to see each other again. The NLT says, I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we come back together again. And it's, it's amazing to see that Christians, Christian brothers and sisters, who have been away from one another for so long, when they get back together, it's just as if they had just, they pick right back up where they were. I think of my one of my best friends, his name's Will Smith. He's a pastor in Kentucky, and I only get to see Will a couple times a year. He comes back to visit his, his family here in Oklahoma. And, and when he does, we always meet for dinner. And as soon as we meet for dinner, it's as if we haven't missed a day. It's not, it's not that we haven't seen each other in six, seven, eight, nine months. 
it feels like we just we saw each other last week. And we jump right into the relationship and the, the conversations are just smooth and, and fresh. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see this. So often what happens in our culture is that we look or think about these things for just a few moments. And, and we say, well, it's, is, that, is it really that big of a deal? Is, is Christian community that big of a deal? It, it is. Christian community is vital. This is Paul looks at Timothy as a family member and he's like, I want to be next to you, I want to be close to you, I want to be a part of this again. And so they pick right back up where they were. And we see this idea in the text. There's a spirit of genuine thankfulness for Timothy. Paul has a genuine heart, a genuine thankfulness for Timothy. Timothy and his ministry. He says, I thank God whom I serve. I thank him. I thank him for you. I thank him for the ancest- my ancestors. And I, I, I'm, I'm thankful. So often what happens in our culture is that we look at or think about Thanksgiving as something that happens right now, this season. Well, oh, it's Thanksgiving. It's turkey and, you know, all this stuff. That's what we, they think of it is. But this was a national holiday that was put out by Christians. You want a Christian holiday? You're, this is it. This is, a, this is a Christian holiday. It is not a, any, you can't have, it doesn't have any other roots in anything else. This was put here by Christians. The pilgrims in 1620, November of 1620, they gather together. In fact, they write out the document called the Mayflower Conplat. Mayflower Compact and the, the, the opening lines is for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith. So don't say, oh, this, this nation was never founded on biblical principles. No, it was. Very much so. The whole purpose of the pilgrims coming here was so that they could have freedom to worship. And so what happens is we think about Thanksgiving as just this thing that is supposed to happen right now. But in the text, it is interesting that thankfulness or Thanksgiving is not relegated to the month of November. But in reality, the Bible mentions the the idea of gratitude, the Greek variations of gratitude, 157 different times. And, And Thanksgiving or giving of thanks is mentioned over 70 times in the text. So this is something that is to be lived out more than just one day or one month out of the year. It is supposed to be something that is a constant in our lives to be thankful. So Paul says to Timothy, I'm th- I thank God for you. I thank God for whom you for who I serve. Verse 5 of 1 Timothy. I remembered, I, I'm sorry, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure it dwells as well in you. So we find out that Timothy has some sort of a a, a long lineage, a long line of believing parents and grandparents. We find out that, that Timothy's family is a Christian family and that that has been passed on from generation to generation. And Paul is telling him to fan, and we'll see here in a minute, he's going he's to tell him to fan the flame of that Christianity. 
this biblical truth that has been passed down by his family. Particularly, he, he mentions his grandmother and his mother. We see two, two people that are mentioned in his family. There, there is something, listen, grandmothers that are in the room, grandmas, there's something to be said about a grandmother that prays and studies the word over her grandchildren. There's something to be said about you grandmothers who study and plead for God to do something in your grandkids. And we see here in the text that, listen, prayers get answered. Prayers get answered. There's something to be said about this. In fact, Proverbs chapter 31 verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, that is to be praised. That is to be praised. Timothy's sincere faith was kicked off by his grandmother who loved the Lord and then passed that on to her daughter, Timothy's mom. And then Timothy's mom passes that on to Timothy. And now Timothy is about to change the entire world generationally, not just in his few years that he's alive we're fast forward to 2023 we're still reading about timothy's ministry today don't think that what you're doing today won't have lasting legacy later don't ladies listen i want to talk to the ladies for just a minute ladies do not believe that your ministry at home is a waste of time it is your responsibility to serve as a godly homemaker and a model for your kids as what it means to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it will astound you how much blessing and reward await you ladies, you mothers who loved Christ and taught him in your homes. In God's economy, being a godly homemaker is the highest calling for a woman never ever listen to a corrupt and pagan culture that tries to tell you otherwise period we've we've bought this lie hook line and sinker that being a mom is a bad idea that's a you're a second-rate citizen if you're a mom that's crazy in god's economy you're going to be unmeasurably rewarded for loving your kids and teaching them about christ Woo. So Paul comes in and reminds him of this lineage. Listen, you had a godly grandmother. You had a godly mother. And then he tells him in verse 6, This is why I remind you, fan into the flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands on you. Sometimes a fire needs to have a little bit of wind to stoke it. It needs to be fanned and flamed a little bit. That flame needs to have a little bit of a... we got to fan that flame to make it build it up. Not too much wind will blow it out, right? But just fan the flame just to get it to where it's stoked up. Sometimes that's what is needed. This is what God's calling is in the text. And it applies to you and I. That... Do things that stir up your spiritual gifts that God's put, placed in you, that God's deposited in you. Don't let those things go dormant. You, you've got to stoke those things. You've got, to, you've got to work those things out. You've got to stir those things up. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. So, in other words, 
fan the flame that you, that, that, that you have placed in you by God and do things to see that fire stoked. There's so many Christians in this culture and in this world that it's, well, I'm just, I just feel so cold, dead, and dark. Well, what are you doing to stoke the fire in your life? Well, nothing really. Are you involved in church? No, nah, I haven't been to church in a month of Sundays. Have you read your Bible? No, nah, I don't read that thing very often. Are you listening to any other preachers other than me? No, nah, I'm not doing that. I, just, I don't want to listen to preachers. I get, I get enough of you on Sunday. I get, what are you doing? What are you doing to cultivate and and stir your heart up for these things? In order to fan the flame, you've got to do regular things to make that flame active. Regular Bible study. Watching and listening to sermons that spur on your convictions. Going to, listen, going to special events that spark your heart towards the things of God. Listen, I've done two of those this last year. And man, Love them, man. Come back just fired up. Spent a couple days in Oklahoma City under the teaching of Dr. Steve Lawson. Came back just invigorated. Went and got spent almost a week in Kentucky with some amazing people and got to hear amazing speakers like Dr. Ken Ham, Dr. Doug Wilson, Dr. Mike Foster. Got to hear all these amazing things happen. Spurred my heart on. Convicted me of sin that was in my life. God, repent. I repent of my sins. I don't want to trust you even more. And when you fan these flames that the Holy Spirit's deposited into you, what happens? Verse 7 tells us. For God did not give us a, a, a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and discipline. So when you go and you fan those flames, you, you want to know why we live in a culture of fear, why everybody's terrified of, oh, we're, ter- we're scared of everything, because we're not trusting in the one who made us. We're not trusting in the God of the universe who's sovereignly in control over all things. We're ignoring this, and we're living our best life and we're playing and we're running and we're gunning and we're having so much fun and we're oh having all this time but we're not spending time reading texts like this reading good books that have rich theology rich history read some of this stuff guys i encourage you listen you're looking at a guy that's that that historically has not been a great awesome reader it has been a muscle that i've had to work i'm not historically the best and voracious reader. My father was. I was not. Go look at my report card. <laughs> but man, as I've gotten into this and I start reading more and I've flexed that muscle more, oh, I want to know more. As I get to see more of this and more God works in my heart, I want to learn more. I want to know more. Then I, with what I've learned and what I know, I want to be obedient to God's calling in my life. I want to fan that flame. I don't want to have a spirit of timidity or, or timidness or fear of what people might say. But rather, I want to have a spirit that is full of power and love and, dis- and self-discipline. The, the first thing you see in the text is that God did not give us a spirit of fear. Listen, the spirit of fear does not come from God Almighty. Over and over again, God tells us in the text not to be afraid. 
Even though we live in a culture that is a culture of fear, we as Christians should be the boldest and the most unafraid people on the planet. Why? Because God has given us the power to be able to walk in the truth. In fact, God gives us a spirit to walk in power. Where does that power come from? Romans chapter 1 verse 16. For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice whose power it is. It's not Caleb's power. He doesn't say, for I am unashamed of the power of the gospel, for it has... What? There's nothing about Caleb in there. It doesn't say anything. For I am unashamed of the, of the, of the Caleb. For it is the power. No. It's the gospel. For that is the power of God for salvation. You want to know how to get saved? God has created this thing. It's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Notice whose power it is. It is the power of God. The strength that you and I walk in is never our own strength. Like, we could boil this down. It's like you being able to get up and walk and breathe and move your arms and do the things that you do every ounce of that is because God says you can every, let's just let's do an exercise in the room just for fun everybody just take a big deep breath in ready exhale you know how you did that God said you could God allowed you to do these things. The power that you have to move and to have your being is brought on by God. You don't muster and say, well, Caleb, my brain did all the work and my arms did. did, did, did. Let's get, I trust the science, right? Okay, where did that science come from to do all those things? God created all that stuff. God put all those things in place. The strength you and I walk in is never our own strength. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the strength to be able to stand and do what is needed. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 says, He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases their power. When you fan the flame of God's gifts in your heart... When you fan the flame of God in your heart, our love for Him and for one another is fanned. So number one was what? We got power. We got a gospel-centered, God-driven power to be able to do the things that we do. Secondly, when you fan the flame of God in your heart, in your life, your, your love for Him is stoked and your love for other people is stoked. You know why we hate each other? You know why people hate each other? Because we're not studying and immersing ourselves in the rich history of God's love for His people. I'm telling you, if you learn to love God better, you're going to love people better. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let me ask the question, did God love you or does God love you? Yes, so because God loves you, he's, how do you know God loves me? You woke up. He didn't kill you for your sin yesterday. He didn't kill you for your sin yesterday. He had every right to, but he didn't. 
He lets you wake up, so He loves you this morning. He gave you another chance to find redemption. He gave you another chance of forgiveness. So because, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the reason I tell people all the time, I don't care what people have done to you. What you did to Jesus was far worse, and He forgave you. So why in the world are you holding on to your bitterness and anger? Why? Why are you holding on to that? Be quick to let that go. So when we fan the flame of God's Spirit in us, we will have love for Him and for one another. We'll have power to be able to walk in the truth of the gospel. And next we'll have the ability to have self-control. Self-control. We won't grat- In other words, you won't gratify your flesh. Rather, you're willing to submit We're willing to submit ourselves to the calling of God in our lives for what we ought to do, not what we want to do. Ought to do. Titus chapter 2, we're going to get there eventually in the text uh, later in this study. But Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 gives us the reason we walk in this kind of self-control. Listen to this text. If, If you miss everything else, listen to this text. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, the Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all of our, unlo- our, all of our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for whom his own possession, whom are zealous for good works. Ooh. Man, you talk about rich theology. Why do we do what we do in this church? Why do we fan the flames? Remember what we talked about couple weeks ago where Paul tells Timothy that we should pursue godliness it's all in line here for the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation for all people what because because of that grace what are we supposed to be doing we train ourselves to renounce ungodliness worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives Listen, the men and women that I know who love the Lord Jesus the most are the most self-controlled, godly people I know. And guess what? You know what, you know what their life is devoid of? Drama. You know what their lives are lacking? Trouble. Men and women who refuse to pursue those things, they don't renounce ungodliness. They invite it in. Let me invite that trash into my life. And then we wonder, why do I have so many problems in my world? Why do I have so many family issues? Why do I have so many marriage issues? Why do I have so many of these things? Because you didn't renounce ungodliness. You opened the door and said, get in here, fellas. Let's party. We're called to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled lives. Upright lives. So we fan the flame of godliness. Walk in love and self-control. And we live lives that 
have a worthy calling upon us. It says, God, He's my King. He's my King. Because God Himself is on His way. What's the text say there in Titus? We're waiting. Why do we do this in the present age? Why do we pursue uprightness? Why? Because we're waiting for our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is Christ Jesus, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. So because Jesus is coming, I want to live a life of righteousness. I don't want when Jesus splits the sky open to go, oh me. I want to say, hey, yes and amen. Glory to God. We just sang it. Glory be to God. I don't want to hear. Who are you again? Depart from me, you who work iniquity and lawlessness. I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into thy reward. Listen, heaven's a long time, so's hell. And as Frank said it a couple years ago, hell's too long for you to be wrong. So why do we live upright, self-controlled lives? Because God's coming. Jesus is coming. He who gave himself for us to redeem. Listen, Jesus died on the cross to redeem you from your lawlessness and to purify you, to make you a new creation that is holy and blameless in his sight. You're his possession. You're his. He's created you for this. Walk in it. Walk in it. Talk about reasons to be thankful. Woo! Talk about reasons to be thankful and to live in a constant state of thanksgiving. That's it. That's it. This is the reason we live in such a state that reminds us daily that God has redeemed us. Like, listen, I don't think you understand this. God has every right to destroy me. You say, wait a minute, Caleb, you're the pastor. I know. I know. That's crazy. That God allows me to stand behind this sacred desk and to, say, to be an ambassador and a megaphone for his anthem, for his message, is jaw-dropping. I am a wretch, people. Your pastor is an absolute wretch. But so are you. But so are you. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and I. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. To remind us that God has redeemed us, has saved us from the consequences of our sinful behavior, that God has saved us from the wrath of God. Like we don't get to, as Christians, if, you're, if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted the gospel, you're not going to experience God's wrath. Rather, you're going to experience God's mercy, goodness, and beauty. That's awesome. That's awesome. All the more reason why I can't fathom my head why people are like, I don't want to be a Christian. You're crazy. Like, I got a buddy. His name's John. John refuses. He's an atheist. He does not want to be a Christian. I tell him all the time, you're nuts. I wouldn't trust the best 2.5 seconds of my life to make me right with the God of the universe. Neither should you. I'm going to trust fully in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross and then his resurrection from the dead to justify me, to give me a right standing with him, 
That is, that is the amazing thing to see that, that God has saved me from the consequences of my sinful behavior and to set me free to walk in His glorious, powerful light. Woo! Today is, today is the day that you could be set free. If you're not doing that today, you say, ah, Caleb, that's not me. I've not repented. I've not trusted the gospel. I don't even know what this stuff is. I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's all, everything we're doing is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Every ounce of this. Jesus, we're, we're fixing to celebrate his birth. Everybody loves baby Jesus. So meek and mild and sweet, cooing in the manger. That's cute. I'm, listen, I'm thankful that he came and that he, he did all the things that he did. And he lived the perfect life because if he hadn't come as a baby and lived the life he, and, and then died on the cross and then went and pillaged hell and took the, the keys to death and hell and, and re- ransacked hell. Woo. And then came out of the grave a victorious king. I'm thankful for Listen, it starts with the birth, but it ends with with a victorious return. And the second time he comes, he's not going to be this timid little meek and mild baby. He is going to be a king on a horse with a sword. And he is going to slaughter his enemies. You know why we're so big on justice? Everybody's like, no peace, no justice, no peace, no all that stuff. You know, we got all these people who have an inherent desire to see justice because God put justice in us. You want to know why we want to see justice? Because that that's innately designed into us by God. And God will exact his justice. He's coming a second time. We're celebrating here soon the first coming. But I'm telling you, the second coming is way more amped up. Now is the season that we live in of mercy. You want, well, golly, I just, what about the goodness and grace and mercy of God? You're living in it. You're right now. This is the time. Jump into that. Jump into his mercy. How do you do that? Repent of your sins and trust the good news of Christ. Repent means to turn away from your sins. The lies you've told. The stuff you've stolen. The way you've disobeyed your mom and dad. The way you've had lustful thoughts and actions. The way that you've you've just lived your life any way you... I can do whatever I want with whoever I want anytime I want. Repent of that junk. What does God want you to do? He just told you in the text. What? Because of this, train yourself to renounce those things of ungodliness, of worldly passions, and then be self-controlled. Renounce them, and then live in self-control. Well, I just couldn't help myself. She was so pretty. He was so good-looking. I couldn't help myself. Yes, you can. Just like back in the 80s, just say no. What's that old country song? What part of no don't you understand? You remember that one? My wife's standing here. What's that old country? You remember that old country song? What part of just no? I'm just going to walk away. But how many of us have not said no? We, oh, we just jump right in. Oh, just one time. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news that's the bad news. 
Here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the rest of that text. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Today could be the day that you could be set free from the ungodliness and unworldliness of your life. You could just throw that past behind you and you could be a new creation to it today. But you've got to first take the step and say, I want to repent of my sins. I want to get I want out. I want to renounce another idea for repentance is to renounce ungodliness in my life i'm not talking about i'm not going to renounce ungodliness in everybody else's life because i i can't save my you got to deal with you you don't have to deal with my sin you got to deal with your sin so what am i renouncing i'm not renouncing jamie's sin i'm renouncing caleb's sin what amen so you got to renounce your sin God, forgive me of my sin where I have not been obedient, where I have been disobedient. God, forgive me. Cleanse me of my iniquities. Cleanse me from my unwillingness to listen. Forgive me. And then walk in self-controlled Holy Spirit power to do what you ought to do, not what you want to do. That's the challenge. That's the calling if you're here and you've not been forgiven, you say, Caleb, I don't know if I've been. I hope I've been forgiven. I hope I've been forgiven. Well, guess what? You can know that you've been forgiven. Because the scripture tells you that you can be. If you confess your sins, not to me. I have no power to forgive you. No pastor, no priest, no rabbi. Nobody has the, no human being has the ability to forgive you of your sins. It's only Christ that can forgive you. He is our only advocate that can forgive us. So the challenge is if you're not forgiven today, you can be. You want to walk in thanksgiving? Man, that's, I'm like, listen, I would get, did I wake up to knowing that God forgave me of my sins? And that I get to spend eternity in heaven with God? That's my calling for everyone in the room this morning. If you're here and you've not been saved, you've not been set free from your sin, and you're not running the race as as Paul called us to run the race, then today I call you to repent so that you can run. Get the right running shoes on. You want to run the race well? You ain't going to do it in your own power. You're going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's power alone. And listen, there's plenty of folks in here who have repented and have trusted the gospel. And now because they're doing that and they've done it the right way, their lives are different. Amen? Amen. Their lives are completely changed. If that's you here today and you do need to, to, to indeed repent, that's my calling. That's my challenge. If you're here today... Repent of your sins and trust the gospel and walk in this stuff. Walk in the power of what God's called you to do. Fan the flame of godliness in you. Fan the flame. Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but He gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Whoo! 
Don't be ashamed of what God's doing. If God's, if there, listen, if you're here this morning, God's got any conviction in your heart. Don't, don't be like, it's got to, this thing just, I don't like the way this feels. I just shed this thing. Keep the warm coat on of God's conviction. God's conviction is a gift. Take that and run to the altar of God's grace and mercy and say, God, forgive me. And guess what? He will. He'll forgive you and he'll transform you from one degree of glory to another.